You'd be kind to her with Kev, won't you? Kind? You know what I mean. Is this the don't mess me brother about talk? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what this is. Oh, chill your beans, Annie Lennox. I have no intentions of messing him about, all right? Good. And like I say, it'll be nice to get to know you. Properly. Likewise. to episode 117 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street catch-up podcast that thinks a sex worker threatening to kill a client with a heel of a stiletto in the middle of the street, in the middle of the day, in front of the police. Couldn't be more 2020 if it tried, I'm Gavin. And Wakanda forever. And what? Wakanda forever. What? Oh, God. I keep forgetting you haven't seen Black Panther. Uh... Black Panther actor Chadwick Boseman died yesterday of colon cancer, and oh. and uh, he was five months younger than me. Diagnosed at the same time, same kind of cancer. I'm alive, and he is not. I have and no idea who he is. It's just, <clears throat> yeah, I don't think you've seen any of his movies, even his non-Marvel movies. Well, I mean, it's not a name familiar to me at you've, all. You've, so. you've seen. Infinity War, because the kids because Benny chose it for. So you've seen him in a Marvel movie, but I don't think I've seen that. Yeah, Benny chose it during um, quarantine. Oh, I wasn't paying attention to that. No, you probably weren't. Anyway, brilliant actor. Have a bit of survivor's guilt this morning. <laughs> that makes sense. And just it's very sad. And kind of devastating news for people that, that loved his work. On a cheerier note. <clears throat> on a cheerier note, uh, the kids are back. I said on a cheerier note. <laughs> oh, oh, ouch. Ouch. They're going to hear this. When? <laughs> they're secretly listening at the door right now. Not a chance no, of that. they're both asleep still. <laughs> There's always a certain period of adjustment. Although it feels like it's been more, uh, it's been smoother this year than yeah. perhaps previously. For the most part, yeah. Because there's a there's a difference in in houses from mm. here and when they go out for the summer, and sometimes it takes a little bit adjusting. I would imagine moving from one to the other both ways, and yeah, and sometimes that takes a few weeks to get back in the swing of things. But I had, I had to, to be do the case. A, I had to do some. Fox News deprogramming in the car. Oh, you did? Yeah. <laughs> they seemed they seemed to think that um, the Lincoln Memorial was vandalized and graffitied. And I was like, guys, no, it was not. That was that was photoshopped. No, nobody nobody went and and graffitied Abraham Lincoln. Now was this from your mom's house? Yes. Oh God. <laughs> and also, I think uh, John's brother played a part as well because apparently he's very faux news as well um would you believe not that we're getting political at all <laughs> no no that's for another podcast although i can say unpolitically that i saw a great uh baseball cap the other day that was uh bright red with white 
embroidered letters in the front of it mm-hmm. that said, made you look Black Lives Matter. Oh, <laughs> I like that. I like your uh, Orwell hat, too. Where I don't know where that Orwell is. Hat? I don't know where it's that It's got to be somewhere in the house. Mm-hmm. Uh. Make Orwell fiction. <laughs> Again. <laughs> Again. <laughs> not that we're being political. No, no, of course not. Yeah, it's... um. I've been uh, binging Preacher, um, and I just got to the episode where they're, because Eugene misguidedly gets Hitler out of hell, and Hitler starts working at Subway, and it has, has formed a new Nazi army from different... From Subway workers? From subway workers, and Circuit City workers, and, and, and things like that, and they come to... Um, save save Hitler off the bus going back to hell, you know, and, and one of the Nazis is wearing a MAGA hat and I'm just like, oh, that's... It was 2018, so... <laughs> again... Uh, it just made me laugh. <laughs> again, there's a time and a place for politics in a Coronation Street podcast and it's... Right here where we're, <laughs> where we're bad training and, and getting ourselves warmed up and, and woken up. Yeah, I've been awake for about 20 minutes. Yeah. It probably shows. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I was the one who uh, drove to Pennsylvania this time, as opposed to you. You dropped them off. Yep. I picked them up. We rented another car. It was a Lincoln. It was creepy. It kept telling me to rest. What made me shit myself <laughs> when I was bringing it back from the, the airport? Was that just last week? It was just last week. Oh my god! So I'm driving home through Lansing, and nothing of any note was really happening. And then this battery of red lights flashed up on the on the windshield, and it made an alarm noise. And then it just went off, and I thought, first of all, I thought it was cops, uh-huh. but there was no cops around. I was like, what on earth? Because I just, so I slowed down. I wasn't going that fast anyway. No. I don't typically drive that fast. And uh, just drove the rest of the way home, just waiting for it to happen. Mm-hmm. And so I checked online to see what it was. I couldn't find it for the Lincoln, but I found it in some Ford models that this will happen if its collision sensors thinks that you're about to have an accident, it'll mm-hmm. flash this up. And then if you don't do anything about it, it'll take action for you it'll slam the brakes on before you right. crash into the car in front of you sort of thing right but there was no car in front of me no not that i remember anyway no so i don't think i like this and plus i kept on batting my fucking head on the i battered my head but you're we i know i was like what is going on here i think that the seat uh, the seat automatically adjusts so many things just automatically do things in this car yeah like the seat automatically adjusts the windshield wipers come on automatically, which actually is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. I liked that feature. Did you have rain? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, quite a bit. And it was funny because I was about ready to turn them on and then they turn themselves on. And they and they regulate their own speed and everything, which is really nice. Huh. But uh, the whole rest thing. What I think happened is that, um, you know, for long stretches of, of I-80, especially during a pandemic... There are no other cars around you, so I would I would be switching lanes and not turning on my turn signal because there's nobody behind me, 
And I think it thought that I was like swerving because I was asleep. Oh. But I wasn't. I was just changing lanes. And so it kept telling me to rest. I said on Facebook that, uh, and I totally should have made this joke on Twitter, um, that it felt like it was possessed by the husband in the yellow wallpaper. The husband in the yellow wallpaper. Yeah. What does that mean? It's it's a short story by Charlotte Perkins about um, a hus about a wife who has been diagnosed with exhaustion. So her doctors and her husband keep putting her to bed in this room, in this new house that has yellow wallpaper, and she slowly goes insane. This room is just full of references that are just flying over my head this morning. Yeah. It's yeah. It's, it's, it's one of the it's very... It's a very niche joke. It's one of the very first... Yeah, well, lots of people on Facebook got it because so many of our friends are literary and feminist and probably have had to read it in, in school the way I did. But then again, you're from a different country, so you may not have had to have read feminist literature. Uh, and on that note... Shall we preamble, my dear? Yes, please. Give me some of that well-referenced coding news. I bet Chrissy is laughing her ass off at that yellow wallpaper joke right now. Because she's a librarian. Anyway. (laughs) I'd be interested to find out. (laughs) Chesney is a dad for reals. Sam Aston and his wife, Brienne, welcomed baby boy, Sonny James, this week. Sonny what? Sonny James. S-O-N-N-Y, James. Okay. Looks like we have a new ginger in the house. Oh, Mazel tov. Yes. baby ginger? Wee baby's ginger. So cute. Ginger babies. <laughs> <laughs> and only just one. Apparently they thought they were going to have a girl because there are so many girls in the family. And then it turns out he was a boy, uh. which is good. Call me Nostradamus. After saying last week that I'm surprised more Corey stars aren't having in real life relationship issues. And I predict there will be more. Lucy Fallon announced this week that she's splitting from, boyf- from her boyfriend of four years, Tom Leach, blaming the pandemic. And also the fact that she's going to be on a boat for like six months. She's not really on the show anymore. No, but she was on the show more recently than uh, the person we were talking about last week. She just left. It counts. Mm. Oh, shut up. (laughs) Finally, former Corey actor Kevin Kennedy has revealed that his time on the show saved his life. The show bosses sent him to rehab for addiction issues and were very supportive. Kennedy now pays it forward by running addiction charity Kennedy Street, saying calls have gone up significantly during the pandemic from like maybe five a week to like hundreds a week. And that's Corey News. I'm not surprised about that at all. The, the, The Corey News that really grabbed my attention this week was the fact that they're going back to our long episodes from... Uh, September 11th. Yeah, I talked about that weeks ago. So. For years to come, that date will be remembered. <laughs> stressing me out. Too just soon, Broom. Stressing me out just thinking about it. Too soon. Too, too soon to make a 9-11 joke there, babe. Too soon. 
I 2020 can just suck it. Let's just. <laughs> I'm genuinely having anxiety about watching three hours a week again. I kind of fell into the whole three episodes quite nicely when it started. I thought this is wonderful because it's you can get the notes done so quickly. You don't feel like it's much of an effort. It's kind of. As it's become normal, it's become less like that. Hmm. And well, now it's going to double. And I'm genuinely anxious about that. Well, I wouldn't worry about it because schools are reopening and it doesn't look like any of the schools in the UK are, you know, doing remote learning or anything. So numbers will go up and everybody will be back in quarantine <laughs> well before September 11th. There's the bright side I was looking for. <laughs> <laughs> Our mailbag. Uh, John wrote in to say, I'm telling you, Annie Lennox and Debbie are the same person. Have you ever seen them both in the same room? I think not. He makes I a love, good point. I love, the fact makes that, a good point. I love the fact that Abby called her Annie Lennox this week. That mm-hmm. was hilarious. Yes. And thanks to the Ben Price fan club for putting together a composite image of Daniel as Wild Bill from Silence of the Lambs. Did you see that? I did not. You didn't? Do I, do I need to see, to see this? It's great. Where is it at? It's on our Twitter. As a reply to last week's episode. Uh, why have I not seen this? When did she post it? Uh, a couple of days after. The two actors look remarkably similar anyway, which I didn't appreciate at the time. Oh, God. So the the, the deep fake face app thing that uh, BPFC has used, I don't think it's had to done very much in the way of heavy lifting to get these two to match together. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. The eyebrows are, the eyebrows are different. And yeah, but only slightly. Because Buffalo Bill's arch a lot more than, than Daniel's. But like the eyes and the, the nose. God, that's chilling. <laughs> It's chilling. So Slipjack, I can stand down. There's a new kid in town. (laughs) Hindsight Corner. This isn't really Hindsight Corner, but remember we were talking about Peloton the other week? Hanging the clothes off it and, and how much more expensive it seemed than... And all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Well, I thought these were the only people that were doing it, but I started to get some ads on YouTube this week for something called Bowflex, which is the same kind of deal, except this one tilts (laughs) as you go around the corner. Gav has just tilted in his chair. To the left and then to the right. (laughs) It's screen rather than showing you the instructor. Mm -hmm. It shows you a road Mm -hmm. and a exotic part of the world or yeah. through a desert or something. I think Peloton will do that as well. Well, the, the, the challenge has been has been thrown down, I guess, by, by Bowflex that this is what you need to introduce. It's asking price. It's like two grand, isn't it? It's between seventeen and $2,200, depending on the size of screen that you want. Yeah. And then there's a subscription that's required on top of that, which I couldn't find a monthly rate on their website, but they do offer their own credit card 
with a 29.99 APR. Thank you very much. Of course they do. Zero percent if paid within 18 months. Also, you have to assemble it yourself. <laughs> and it looks very difficult to hang clothes off of. <laughs> so it also looks like it has a seat that would drip your arse into and other exercise bikes are available. This is not a paid ad for Bowflex. Or Peloton. Or Peloton. But funnily enough, from the second that I clicked on the Bowflex link, that's all the ads I'm getting anymore. <laughs> it's for a bike that I do not want. Have you seen this new mirror thing? Mirror thing? Yeah, it's basically a mirror that turns on and there's an instructor in front of you. Holy shit. And you do, and you do exercises with them and they call you by name. And it, it monitors your progress and everything. And it's basically just a mirror. Can they see you? I don't think so. <laughs> but there's got to be sensors there that sense you, like, actually working out and stuff. It seems like... It it, it does not seem... Because it's it's just hanging on the wall. And you can see yourself exercising in it. And everything, and you can also see this reflective person in there doing the instructions and stuff. I, it just, it seems creepy and also pointless. Because <laughs> it's not, it's not really doing anything for you. So, you're looking at the mirror. Yes. You can see you. Yes. You can also see whoever the fuck that guy is. Yes. Wouldn't that make you think that whoever the fuck that guy is is standing behind you or something? Yeah. I don't. I don't think so. I think the way that it is, it, you look. You appear that you're behind them. A little bit. Oh, I don't know if that's any better. No, and the screen darkens. The mirror darkens a little bit when you're using it for that. It doesn't look like a mirror, mirror reflection. It's it's like uh, looking in a, in a um like a TV screen that's off, kind of way, that you see yourself. Is that the dog or your stomach? That was my stomach. <laughs> it kind of sounded like the dog. <laughs> <sighs> uh, I've and in other news, I I finally put our uh, our um, treadmill together that I bought like two years ago, but I can't get it off safe mode. So if anybody knows how to get, just Google it. Tread, I I have, but I can't find the brand and the model. And I see all this stuff about a safety key, but I don't see anywhere where you would put a safety key into this particular model. So, who knows? Anyway. I know this. <laughs> Go eat something. At least drink your coffee and your orange juice. I will fill your tummy. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Almost, almost drank some coffee and had to spit all the I know, I was like, what are you doing? Is this... <laughs> A stuntman in here for this, how, how close that was to the line. That's the milkiest coffee I've ever seen in my life. Mm. It's predominantly milk, isn't it? No, it is cream. not. No. Welcome to Last Year Tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about the zoological quandary. This was Moira's reaction to Liz choosing between zebra and leopard print. Quite the zoological quandary. Ah. I was Gavin and you were just beat. I was. I had a reading at Matt Rossi's uh, Rio Town series in Lansing. Oh, isn't that funny? <laughs> what because, a coincidence, yeah. Because I just did the Rio Town show in Lansing, only not in Lansing, because I was sitting here in Eaton Rapids doing it yep. via Zoom. Remotely. Yay. It's a good series. 
I had, I had a lot of fun doing that. I was a, bit, a little bit out of practice, but I think I got into the swing of it the longer it went on. It was, yeah, it was good fun. It was a, it was a bit awkward doing it via Zoom. Not really during the time when I was reading, although it is kind of weird to be reading in a room by yourself when you don't get any audience reaction. Yeah, well, people people were silently reacting, but yeah, it's it's not the same. My problem was when it was time for the other readers and I didn't know what to do with my face and my hands. <laughs> you know, I, I was turning the, the video off intermittently, um, but not always, you know, because there were particular readers that I really wanted to listen to, listen to and, and have them see my reaction, like Rose, but it's just... Zoom's weird. Irish Jed is really sticking it to lying Robert. <laughs> David is in jail and is reasonably well tanned. Mm. Emma and Amy bond. Emma and Steve don't. Adam witnesses a mini fracas between David and Gary and hires that private investigator that double-crossed them. That was a year ago. <sighs> Tyrone forgets to enrol Hope into Bessie Street. That was a year ago. My goodness. Tim's dad guilts Yasmin with a phony sickness. He moved out last week after the whole security camera debacle, calling her the Queen of Moon... Moon? The Queen of Moan. Eileen finds out the truth about Jan, and her moment of the week was Avon turning on the waterworks. Not sure what I meant by that. And boring moment of the week was Moira's anagrams, and that was Coronation Street and the talk of the street this time last year. Evelyn was crying. I think about her daughter. I think this was when uh, she finally came clean to Tyrone about... Her daughter being dead and her addiction issues and all that stuff. I don't think that was it. I think she was just pretending. Oh. Right anyway. That's, that's also possible. Shall we dive in, my dear? Y'all's bleed? Our first storyline this morning is the twins down under. But it's not really the twins down under anymore. Yeah, but it's fun to say. On Monday, Abby's home and Kev is worried about her because she's quiet and she's dinged a call from Peter because as soon as someone has something to hide, they need to act suspicious as fuck about it. Mm -hmm. She insists she's fine and tells him to piss off to work, which he does just as he gets a call from Debbie. As soon as he's gone, she fishes out the morphine from her bag, sighs and then puts it back in the bag again. Okay. What the hell? How does she still have it when Peter saw her take it? Why didn't he take it from her in the hospital? Yeah, I was a, bit, a little bit confused Yeah, about that. that doesn't make any... Timbot4000 says this does not compute. I agree, 100%. It it doesn't. She was caught. She was caught with it. He could have very quietly... She was in a hospital bed. She only has one arm that's functioning at the moment. Peter could have very easily taken it away from her right then and there and put it back in the trolley. Mm-hmm. And also the hospital probably would have noticed the missing morphine by now. Because they're supposed to be... Then again, they they were so lax last week keeping it open. It was, uh, and that does not happen in hospitals anymore. So it, unrealistic. It was a member of the Three Stooges who seemed to be uh, in charge <laughs> of that. <laughs> in charge of that trolley. Yuck, yuck. Um, <laughs> I, think we, I think we covered all three there, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, it, it was weird. I, did, I didn't quite follow that how she managed to get it in her bag and how Peter didn't say something to her or Kev or to the, the guy the with hospital, the trolley. hospital, yeah. So anyway, in the back of the rovers, Peter and Carla chatting about going sailing. Then Peter announces how worried he is about Abby. Carla doesn't like remembering the two of them getting their hole in that boat she bought him. But then Peter heads off to see if Abby is okay. And he kind of 
semi halfway does this with her blessing. Kinda, yes. Kinda. Yeah. Meanwhile, Abby is torturing herself with the card the twins made her, and then tortures herself further with the bottle of the morphine. She gives in and takes a swig just as someone knocks at the door. <laughs> and she takes a huge swig of morphine, which should have killed her right there. I don't think it would have killed her. No. She, she took like about half of it. That's that's a lot of morphine. Yeah. You're only supposed to take a wee wee bit of it. And she has been off the drugs for a long time. So her body's not used to having lots of drugs in her system. That should have flattened her. She should not have been able to make a complete sentence for the rest of the episode. Seems like you're determined to make Timbot repeat himself. Timbot4000 says this does not compute. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I thought you were doing that. So, uh, yeah, someone knocks at the door. It's Peter. He's angry that she hasn't answered any of his messages to her and when he accuses her of taking the drugs she's slow to deny Peter doesn't believe her she insists that she's fine but he saw her steal the morphine and Abby asks it he keeps it quiet and keeps it to himself it wasn't the pain it was the pain of losing the twins that's pushed her to this he calls it a slippery slope and says that she knows it right and this totally doesn't make sense either because he's like well you have pain meds from the hospital you don't need morphine on top of them and she's like it's not that pain it's the pain with the kids, but morphine's a painkiller, so it's the painkillers that she got legally will do the same thing, will make her fuzzy and not remember the twins. She can overdose on those just as easily as she can on stolen morphine. I don't think ibuprofen would really... I don't think it's ibuprofen. It's, if, it's, if it's like professional grade, hardcore ibuprofen, then yeah, it, it, it will help. They're prescription painkillers. It's not like ibuprofen you get over the counter. I don't know. I have some experience in this. Legal experience, I need to add. Legal experience. Yeah, right. (laughs) She says that she's chucked it out and she's fine uh, just sitting there with her feet up. So she's making a cup of tea or whatever and Peter's sitting on the sofa where Abby was previously sitting. Yeah, wait a second. Why is Abby who's just got home from the hospital, who just take a huge swig of morphine, who has just been severely injured. Why is she making Peter, an able-bodied man who was not in the hospital, a cup of tea? She knows where the spoons are. <laughs> so, she admits... Oh. Timbot4000 says this does not compute. Right, enough. This whole storyline does not compute. Uh. She says, no... Abby, oh, Abby admits that she's struggling, but she's not about to fall off the wagon and throw everything away that, that she's worked so hard for. And later, she's got rid of Peter and immediately searches her bag for the morphine, but the bottle, she's gone. Dum dum dum. Knew that. I saw that coming a mile away. I thought it was funny that Peter was suddenly sitting down where she was sitting down. Mm-hmm. I thought that kind of stood out, but. I, I, I don't know, my, my mind just didn't go to the fact that she, mm. he rummaged through her bag and we didn't see it happening. But it, he didn't really need to rummage because it was right there <laughs> in that side pocket. So Abby tracks Peter down to the backyard of the rovers. Where is it? She demands. He tells her he thought that she'd thrown it away and she was clean. She insists that she is. She just needs a morphine for the pain. Needs it, says Peter. We both know where that ends up and he pours the contents of the bottle down the drain and then throws it on the ground. And why did he not do that already? <laughs> He oh, wanted to do it in front of Abby? Dramatic effect, I think. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. 
she rushes over to get it just as Johnny turns up. What's going on in here? He asks, yes, because Johnny's back. He's sitting in the toilet again. <laughs> on Wednesday, Johnny accuses Peter of mucking around behind Carla's back, and when Peter protests, telling Johnny to sort out his own relationship first, Abby slinks away. So Peter chases her home, warning her that she's an addict and she needs help. He kind of goes through the motions here a little repetitively. Anyway, he invites her to an Addicts Anonymous meeting, and at this, Debbie comes in, and Peter and Abby couldn't make it more obvious that she's walked in on something. Debbie has a suitcase and is planning on staying for a while. Later, Kev's come home from work for a second and nips out for a chippy tea, and there's immediate tension between Abby and Deb. Debbie asks if it'll be a problem with her staying there, and Abby's like, well, it's not my house, it's not my rules, which isn't the warm welcome that Debbie was expecting. She says she's looking forward to getting to know Abby, but asks that she treat Kev well. Chill your beans, Annie Lennox, says Abby. I have I no intention that. of messing him around. Now, at, at any point do we see Kev tell Abby that Debbie is coming to stay? Nine. No. We see Kev on the phone with Debbie, and that's it. So, I don't know. If you invited somebody to stay in the house and didn't tell me, even if it was a family member, I think I'd be pissed. Yeah. And and so would you if I said, oh, by the way, my sister's staying for a couple of weeks. I would be pissed after the by the way. Because <laughs> she walks in and she doesn't act like, like Abby knows anything. Right. Kev said it was okay to stay for a while. Mm-hmm. And she just, she doesn't knock on the door. She has a key, apparently. So she just walks right in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I I could see Debbie's side of this, but I could also see Abby's side of this. Back at the Rovers, Peter tells Carla that he's just had Kev on the phone and he's off to pick up his car keys. Carla seems a bit suspicious at this, but lets it pass. And he's not picking up keys. He's meeting with Abby in the ginnel. He tries to talk her into that meeting again, but Abby can't have Kev finding out about the morphine and stuff. Peter pushes it, and Abby will think about it. He says he's there for the. He says he's there for her day or night. Meanwhile, Johnny comes through to the back room and hands over Peter's keys to Carla. Oops. Awkward. Apparently, Kev was in earlier and dropped him off. So when Peter comes back, he's immediately caught out. Carla wants to know where he's really been, and eventually Peter admits to going to see Abby, but it's not what you think. But he promised not to betray Abby's trust, so can't tell her what it really is. Carla says, fine, gets up to put her jacket on, and she'll get it out of Abby. So Peter, yeah. so Peter has to come clean. Oh, that's all right then. I'm just going to go beat up Abby. Yeah. Find out. Now that's a cat fight I'd like to see. Who do you think would win, Carla or Abby? <sighs> Who would win in a fight between Carla and Abby? Ah, uh, shit, that would be our well. Abby is handicapped at the moment with only having one arm. Yeah, but let's let's and imagine also morphine for the sake of fairness that they're both in peak physical condition. Mm. Uh, I think my money would be on Abby. I think she'd be. I think it would be a tough fight. I think she'd have to fight a long time, but I think Abby on the overall would would win. Abby, I think, with an illegal uh, rabbit punch, <laughs> I think would win it. But by God, Carla would take some knocking down. Absolutely, absolutely. I think Carla's probably got better nails for the, for the scratching and the gouging. 
Nobody wants to. Nobody wants to ruin their nails like that. With human flesh. Yeah. And viscera. And hair. Hmm. I don't know. It's a good question. Hmm. Unfortunately, we can't find out until after the pandemic. <laughs> I wonder if there's something that uh, Ben Price Fan Club can do <laughs> with Photoshop to reenact <laughs> this battle of the behemoths. And then Carla asks a very pertinent question. Why is this Peter's problem and not Kevin's? Because Peter has this God complex. Just a wee bit. You know, I mean, let's remember Yasmin. White knight and all over the shop. Yeah, which is, if if you've been to an AA meeting, you know, is something that they they discourage <laughs> quite a bit. Why do you think it's a good idea helping out your ex like this, she says. Peter promises it's just about Abby's addiction, but Carla still has reservations. Why did they lie about it? She wants Peter to be careful. He can't go around mending every bird with a broken wing. That was another great line. Well it done, was a Carla. good line. Carla week. Just that Abby calls Peter to confirm that this meeting idea isn't for her. Peter says the easier option is just to go off and get high. Peter goes on about helping himself. Which is unfair and totally a dick thing it's to kind say. kind of goading, isn't it? He's yeah. He's goading her. He is. So Peter goes on about helping herself and seems to get through to her a little bit. All the while, Carla has to sit and listen to half the conversation and her reservations, if anything, have just grown. Peter insists that he knows what he's doing. Right, yeah. And they both kind of act like Peter is God's gift to women a wee bit. Both of them. Because Carla's like, how is she going to be able to resist you? I wasn't able to resist you. And Peter says, well, yes, I am very irresistible Mm -hmm. to women. All women want to sleep with me. Especially when I help them. It's like, Yasmin doesn't want to sleep with you, dude. Well, did she say that? Tim's Tim's dad seems to think she does, but she doesn't. Uh, I, you know, I, I, fine. I, I, I question Peter's motives here as well a little bit. Yeah, I think I think there is an emotional attachment there. And not just because of the fact that they did have a relationship at one point, but also... Because he's the one who found her under the engine. You know? Mm. Yeah. So he's like, I saved you, and now I have to keep saving you. Yeah, and I think the way that that whole thing ended, whenever it was, last year, the year before. Mm-hmm. Last year. Split for a while. They were going to sail off together. Well. That's what she thought. Yeah. And he had other plans. and. Yeah. More thinking about Simon, and mm-hmm. so she didn't take kindly to that. Yeah. So there's maybe still a little bit of regret on both sides, maybe as to how that ended. You know, I don't, I don't see an awful lot of. I'm quite frankly surprised that Abby, you know, called him back and and met him in the gunnel and and everything because she seemed quite firm that she didn't that it was fine and she's fine. I think she's a little scared about getting back on the on the drugs. But she's very quickly amped the relationship back up again. And, well they both have because they're both like kind of phoning each other and texting each other all the time. Right. It feels a little too much just to be innocent. Yeah. And especially after all that time 
building up and working towards this whole Kevin Abbey thing. Well, that just, did take a little bit of building up. That took so much building up, and now they're finally living together. And then we're going to throw a wrench in the works? I well, don't know. Well, let's get through Friday's episodes. Okay. Abby's on the phone with Peter again, uh, confirming that she'll be at that meeting thing, and she quickly hides a call on her phone when Kevin and Debbie come in. And they want to know what Abby's plans are for the day, and she says she's not got out on. Kev's out for the day, and Debbie wants to make Abby lunch to let them get to know each other better. And Abby can't really do anything but accept the offer. Right. We don't see the lunch, but we very much get the impression that it did not go well, with mm. a fidgety Abby barely eating anything. And then she demands that Debbie hurries up and gets on with her inquisition, get it over and done with. Fair enough, says Debbie, and she asks what the deal is with Kevin. Abby says she doesn't do small talk and isn't interested in Debbie's offer of a vino or a coffee either. She yeah, keep, she says she doesn't drink during the day. She keeps on getting texts throughout this and then announces that she wants to go for a walk and when Debbie offers to go along with her, uh-huh. Abby's like, well, I'd just uh, rather no, kind of go on my own, no offence. <coughs> Debbie kind of graciously concedes that, well, maybe I'm a little bit too much sometimes. And, 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 and she so. is. And so she, she says that no offence is taken, but it clearly is. Yeah. And she's not really happy with how this has yeah. gone. But, you know, she's just, again, she's just barged in here and, like, immediately was giving Abby the third degree. You know, even if Abby wasn't going through some addiction issues and ex issues and had just gotten out of the hospital, let's not forget... She just got out of the hospital, and and Kev is dumping Debbie on her. So we, <laughs> Debbie's uh, view of this picture, this story is, she's walked into her brother's house. This woman who, I'm not even sure she's met before, is there with Peter Barlow mm-hmm. alone. Mm-hmm. So it's instantly kind of. What if I just walked into here? Right. And then the, the demeanour of the two of them just makes it worse. Right. The fact that Abby's so distant, and she's been a little bit funny with Kev as well, that she didn't want anything from a chippy, and then she changed her mind. Mm-hmm. Everything that she's doing is just making Debbie more and more suspicious. Mm-hmm. Kev, not so much, because he knows what the backstory is. Right. And, and stuff. And I, I, I don't even know that he would have any problems with peter coming around right yeah because peter saved saved, her life yeah but from debbie's point of view this is all stinking to high heaven right that something's going on and every single action that abby is doing that every word that she's saying is just making that worse right instead of saying yeah i'm fine by the way i just got out of the hospital because i had an engine fall on me so i'm <laughs> kind of out of sorts not feeling quite myself yeah not really in the mood for chatting or right. being interrogated right but she doesn't say any of that or you know oh do you remember peter barlow he saved my life mm-hmm. <laughs> just coming to check on me because he saved my life right remember that time that peter barlow saved my life no you don't because you weren't here right mm. Mm. So, uh, I guess we can see how this is kind of awkward for both of them then. Right. I think that's the conclusion we're coming to. And, you know, it, on in the same vein, Peter's acting very suspiciously around Johnny and Carla. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't have to say, oh, I have to go get my keys. He 
could have said, I'm going out for a bit. I'll be back. Right. Go out for a smoke. Right. Or, or, or vaping, as he does now. Right. Yes, he does vape. <laughs> Liz, isn't there. Liz isn't there anymore, so they needed somebody else to be the vapor of the... I wonder if they're not allowed to smoke on set because of COVID somehow. Huh? Maybe. Well, oh, well. Water, the water droplets from a vape pen probably wouldn't help either. <laughs> Floating in the air That's around true. people. Although he is quite social distance from everyone else when he's vaping. So. Mm-hmm. I see what EastEnders are doing, <laughs> which just come out of nowhere. They're utilizing uh, Perspex. What's that? What's Perspex? Yeah. It's like a, a clear plastic, hard plastic sheet. Oh, like plexiglass. That they're putting up between the, the actors that the uh-huh. camera can't see, but it means that the actors can stand closer together. Oh, that's pretty smart. That's pretty smart. It's better it's, than a mannequin. It's also really obvious when you think about it, but isn't that clever? It's very clever. So you wouldn't have the situation where uh, Gary and Maria, who have just got married... Can't kiss each other. Can't apparently stand next to each other. It's like they both stink. So that's like right. two metres apart just after getting married. And, and David has to... Living together. ...required to ask to see the rings. Moving on. <laughs> on your Todd. On Monday. Mary, who doesn't work at the factory, turns up at the factory to check on Sean. She's worried about him and he's worried about Todd and, by extension, Eileen. He's tried calling him, but to no avail. And so he decides, again, to rope Billy into this mess. <sighs> so Billy gets a text and confesses to Paul that Todd looks like he's either back in town or is in trouble of some sort. Or indeed. And, and Sean is very worried. Paul asks about Todd, saying Billy never talks about him and he was a bit dodgy. Paul is interested and doesn't mind talking about it. Billy says he was fun and had a caring side, but when the going got tough, he fucked off. Billy hates to think something might have happened to him, so Paul tells him to call Sean back. This is more important than his birthday. <laughs> Then Billy, who doesn't work at the factory, turns up at the factory. They compare notes and Billy wants to report him missing to the police. Sean isn't sure that's a great idea. Do we have a doesn't work at the factory t-shirt yet? No. We should totally have a doesn't work at the factory t-shirt. I don't work at the factory. Yeah. And all I got was a slousy t-shirt. No, it just doesn't work at the factory. Okay. I'll Mm. I'll do that later. All right. That's an exclusive listener. (laughs) Todd is on the run, after all, but Billy wonders if dumping his stuff is the action of a man who doesn't want to be found. So Billy and Sean have reported Todd missing to the police, and Craig sees him as they leave. Sean explains what happened, and the police can't tell him anything because they're not actually related or anything like that. Right. And uh, they told them to contact a missing persons charity. Craig is sorry that he can't do more to help, but he looks like something's going on in that brain of his. Mm. Yes, his eyes keep twitching back and forth. Like he's thinking yes. about really bad movies. Later, Craig catches up with Billy and Sean in the street. It's true that they can't divulge anything about the case, but he's going to do that anyway. <laughs> okay. This, this is Craig's MO all, all over again, isn't it? I'm not, I know I'm not supposed con- to do this. He's constantly doing this. <laughs> Todd was found ages ago and has been released without charge. So Sean suspects something evil must have happened. Right. And why, if he doesn't have to be in hiding anymore, has he not contacted his mum? Right. On Wednesday, Billy and Sean go into the florist shop to speak with Mary. And that's fine because it's a shop. Right. 
uh, Billy fills it in with the chart from the and police. And I like that. No, and how they've... Do we have a not like that t-shirt? Yes. <laughs> okay. They've given details of a charity that's imaginatively called Finding People. <laughs> I wonder how long it took to just think that one. I wonder if it's actually a charity. The, Any, whole, the whole missing persons charity thing. I don't know. I can't quite wrap my head around it. It gets worse. Mm. Uh, and there's nothing stopping Todd from coming home. So why hasn't he? Asks Sean. Because he doesn't like you. Billy finally gets home having missed Paul's birthday surprise and fills Paul in on his day trying to track down Todd. But, shockingly, not like that. Billy promises that the only reason he's doing this is for Eileen. There's nothing going on and there would nothing be going on with him and Todd. Right. Billy gives Paul his present. It's a bracelet, but the way that it's kind of delivered, Paul initially thinks that Billy's about to propose. Billy says that if they could get married in church, he would do. And Paul says that he would definitely there, say yes. Are there no Episcopalian churches in the UK? I I was confused by that as well. Because Epis, Episcopalians will marry gay couples, most of them. And some and some Methodist, some United Methodist churches, although I think that's mostly an American denomination. That what what denomination is 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 Billy a vicar of? Church of England, is he? So maybe that's it. Church of England won't marry the gays. But are okay with hiring the gays. Right. Hmm. Well. Is he? He's not, he's not Catholic. No, no. Because then he'd be a father and not a vicar. And he'd also be celibate, I think. Right. And Billy ain't no celibate. No. He's got his whole every way to Sunday. Yeah. So to speak. So on Friday, Billy, who doesn't work at the factory, turns up at the factory to see Sean. He hasn't been sleeping for worrying about Todd, and Sean has been checking out homeless shelters, and he's been put in touch with a missing persons database that has something like a choose your own cadaver menu or something. And also, he got all of this from one of his homeless friends. You can say her name, Sean. It's Carol. <laughs> Where the fuck is she? Then Sean gets a notification from his uh, missing persons chat forum. A body has been found in the canal yesterday. Dum, dum, dum. dum. That's as far as we get with that this week. It's not. I'm a little lost about... Why everybody cares about this character who is horrible. (laughs) The motives of Todd, seemingly. If it is Todd. It is Todd. We know it's Todd. Thanks to the... No, Todd's not the body in He's the... been recast. Yeah, so we know he's not dead. Right. So who is that body? Oh, is it Rick the Chin? No. Did Gary dig Rick the Chin up and then dump him in the canal? Because remember, he did dig him up. We saw the shovels and the tarp. Well, he went to dig him up, but I don't think he actually did it. Did he? I don't know. I think so, because he comes back. And Sa- remember, when he pulls back up, that's when Sarah confronts him and opens it up and we see all of the incriminating stuff in the bag, right? I don't think he dug him up. And then and threw, him threw him in the, in the canal. canal. <laughs> so when they find the body, it's like, why is this body in the canal covered in covered dirt, in dirt <laughs> and decomposed for best part of 18 months? <laughs> I don't think this body was alive when it fell into the canal. No. Yeah, it would be obvious that he didn't drown. 
because there'd be no water in his lungs. Right. So it'd be like... Because his lungs didn't exist anymore. This body has been moved from somewhere else. Because... So no, I don't think it's religion. There seems to be... On the interwebs and everything, there seems to be hints that this body, who's obviously not Todd, is somebody we know. And so... At first, I was thinking that it was Tim's mom, but they said it's male. Mm-hmm. So it's not Tim's mom. So the only person I can think of who's deed is and missing is Rick the Chin. I don't think it's going to be anybody we know. Gary chucked him in the canal. <laughs> I'd have some Which would problems totally with that. be a Gary thing to do, let's no. be honest. He's not the brightest criminal He's not, ever. But- if you're going to dig the body up, don't throw it someplace it's going to be found. Bury it somewhere else. Or burn it. I can't imagine it was in a, any kind of state to be moved anyway. Well, that's what the tarp is for. You just kind of take the body parts out and stick it on the tarp. Oh. And then they're all together, even if they're falling apart, when you move them. Again, not speaking from personal experience <laughs> right, of right. moving dead bodies. That I have murdered. That's how you spent most of your weekends in the early 2000s, I thought. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, so I don't really know what Todd's uh, motive is in all this. Well, he doesn't have a motive because... Because what was that? The chick from last week? She found a bag of his crap Did by she the though? canal. And then wrote a letter? Right. Hand wrote a letter. To Eileen? Maybe it was maybe she it was computer printed. How did she know Eileen's address or name? It was probably somewhere in the bag. I don't know. None of this makes any sense, and I'm not quite sure why it's a story, to be honest. It's... Unless they just wanted to get a new character back on the show who's younger so they can be on set. I think this is the whole thing with Debbie too. It's like, well, we need we need stories. We only have a handful of actors we can use. Who are some people who are relatively young that we can bring back for a few episodes to to further some stories along and and, and everything. It's just the complications well, I'm surprised of Johnny's it, on the set. I'm surprised Johnny's come back so quickly. Yeah. Who knows? I don't know. It's just the complications of it are are confusing me. And I have a feeling that when we find out those complications aren't going to be addressed. No. That's kind of what I'm worried about. Yeah. Moving on to birthday surprise, surprise. Hoo-ha. On Monday, it's Gemma's birthday and Chesney seems to have bought her a toaster. <laughs> yep, that happened. <laughs> and she's thrilled with it. She loves it. She says that this toaster is lovely. Oh. Bernie's less impressed. But Gemma is amazed that she's managed to make it to 30. What what would <laughs> the rapscallions on the estate say about her now? 30 with five kids. Uh, then down comes Bernie, who announces that at this time, 30 years ago, she was munching on Gemma's placenta. And Gemma makes a a pretty good, for her, joke that, that the people on the estate would say that her five kids don't all have the same dad. Yep. Yeah, that was pretty funny, considering. Well... That's more luck than good judgment, let's put it that way. 
Meanwhile, Paul is getting his prezzies and cards, but he's still worried about Gemma, who he still assumes is depressed. Billy tries to distract him by saying that he was planning a walk. A lot of people going for walks this week. Yes. Gemma's house is full of party stuff when Paul comes over, and they quickly have to hide it. He's ready to celebrate, but she says she doesn't feel like it. What about a walk, then? She can't go and leave the babies, so Bernie says that she'll go for that walk with him instead. And so that's what happens. Yes, and he doesn't seem all that thrilled. No. On the walk, Paul says he would prefer to be walking with Gemma, no offence. He's sure something's not right with her, and Bernie says that she's in a bit of a rut. Which mm-hmm. she isn't. No, she's just making something up <coughs> to keep him to keep him out of the house and above suspicion for a little while. Back home, Summer is lighting a cake and Paul sees the party that Gemma has arranged for him. And it's basically a snack plate. Then Gemma sh- shouts up from the street, showing off uh, the prezzy bag that she's got for him. So on the street on Wednesday, Gemma and Bernie argue about who did the most work in the birthday surprise thing, which looked minimal effort. He opens the present and it's a signed photo of Anne and Deck. And this prompts Paul and Gemma to dance very badly to Let's Get Ready to Rumble. And Summer's also there and she's got very long hair. And she's very confused because she's... Is she a mo- No, she's, she's Gen Z. I don't know what I'm watching, says Summer. But she's and I've never agreed with her more. <laughs> Back there was home, something else that she, Summer was confused about that Paul and, and um, Billy were trying to explain to her earlier. And she's like, you know, and they're making this whole generational joke. Kids these days, they don't understand anything. She's got a little bit of sass about her these days. Yeah. I like it. Me too. Back home, Gemma reveals that it was Vanessa who helped deliver the aunt and deck stuff. She knows somebody who knows somebody. Mm-hmm. They have their house to themselves and she wants to get her hole right now. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess she does. Yeah, that's 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 her real birthday present. And that's the end of that storyline. Yeah. And there was a bit of uh, awkward <sighs> social distancing acting when uh, Paul and, and Billy and, and Summer are in their house. Later, and Summer makes a sassy comment, and Paul goes to chase her around the room and catch her, and, like, halfway around the couch, he just stops because he can't catch her because social distancing. Right. I <laughs> and she goes back into her room. I thought that was quite well done. Eh. I guess that's pretty much it. Nothing much to say about that other than... They're 30 now. They're 30 and, and apparently can badly remember a dance. <laughs> Bernie seemed to be getting into it as well. Yeah, she wasn't doing the moves, though. But she just produced a speaker out of nowhere that seemed to be Bluetooth to her phone. Right. Well, this is probably planned by her and Gemma. That was part of the birthday surprise, I bet. No, planned, you think? Yeah. Yeah. They went for it. I, I'll give them that. You know, I mean... Obviously, the reference went right over my head because these people weren't a thing in the U.S. You've seen Ant and Dick, though. Have I? They're the ones that present the Jungle Show. I'm a celebrity. Oh. They both have quite big foreheads, and one always stands on the left of the other. Ant's always standing from the viewer's point of view on the left, and Dick, the slightly smaller one, he's on the right. See, whenever I watch clips of that show, because I never watch a full episode of that show, it's mostly, you know... Celebrities. The celebrities yeah. that, that I'm watching, not the presenters. You must have seen them. but I'm, I must have, but... Hello, ghost. But when uh, 
when they were kids, they were in a show called Biker Grove, which, which is set in Newcastle, and they were PJ and Duncan, and they became a very short-lived, uh, popular uh, music combo who had the hit Let's Get Ready to Rumble, which I think had an H in it. I think it was Rumble. Let's Get Ready to Rumble. Yeah, because that's copyrighted by the WWE. Let's Get Ready to Rumble. Is it? Probably. No, knowing... no, it's boxing that they say, let's get ready to rumble. Oh, is it? Yeah. Let's is get ready to rumble. That guy. Yeah. That he's... That's boxing. He's WWE sometimes too, I think. Nope. No. Never mind. Let's talk about Weatherfield Psycho now. No. On Monday, <laughs> Daniel phones Nikki. Asking to meet up, but as Nikki said, she has other clients this week, so she says that she'll text him Cherry's number. Later, Cherry gives Daniel a call and appears to be happy to do for Daniel what Nikki's been doing. Only socially distanced. On Wednesday, <laughs> so later, Daniel is video, video chatting with Cherry, and Daniel is boring the tits off of her by going on about how. Uh, proud he is of Bertie and how he seems to enjoy playing with street trash when Cherry stifles yet another yawn everything's a wonder to this child he's so complex because he loves a a crisp wrapper might as well be made of gold or silver the fuck are you talking about you idiot (laughs) creepazoid Daniel finally takes a hint and announces that this isn't working it only works if you're wearing the cardigan and if you put the lotion on the skin. And if you're in the room. So later, Daniel's on the phone and if your with, hair is blonde. with Nikki's answer machine. He says he'll call back some other time. And then he goes to return some videotapes and then tries to get a reservation at Dorsia. Do let us know in the comments if anyone got that reference. On Friday, he calls back the next day and still gets a machine. He's becoming a little more demanding now and he tells her that he needs to see her today and he tells her to definitely call him back. He's getting a little bit yeah, a little bit antsy here. Daniel, you're not the only sad single man <laughs> in Weatherfield. So he immediately gets a call back but it's from Adam wanting to check uh, when something was filed because Daniel is now working at the law office. Yeah, let's all remember that. What with Leanne being out and everything because Oliver is dying. Right. Then Adam gets back to the office and Daniel doesn't waste any time sticking his jacket on and asking to take a half day. Not a chance, says Adam. They're swamped at the moment. Part-time doesn't mean in your own time and he's been slack as fuck lately. Adam is in no way being a dick here, but even so, sweetens the deal by ordering a bistro takeaway for lunch. Yeah. yeah. For once, Adam is totally in the right. Yeah. For once, Adam is the sensible one yeah. in the room. You're getting paid here, pal. How often does that happen? And you've got a credit card that you really need to be paying off, so uh-huh. so he uh-huh. doesn't have much of an option uh-uh. here. So in the bistro, one of Ray Weinstein's business associates, <clears throat> Baz, he's in the bistro waiting for some paperwork to be signed. He's in a hurry. He's late and for- we don't know what this paperwork is for. <laughs> no clue. He's late for a shindig and his date is waiting in the car. In comes Daniel to pick up Adam's order. And then in comes Bazzy's date. And would you fucking believe it? It's Nikki. She sees Daniel and reacts rather uncomfortably. Daniel looks like he might be three seconds away from turning into Ted Bundy. <laughs> or or Al Bundy. Yeah. All right. So that's, that's the next uh, face swap we need to do. <laughs> Ray knows. 
Which one would you prefer? I think I'd prefer Albon now. <laughs> From Mind of Children. Yeah, well, there's that picture of Ted Bundy washing dishes going around social media right now. Is there? Yes, because that uh, that guy that shot and killed two protesters in Wisconsin um, also was cleaning graffiti up earlier that day. So people are, are passing that around saying, oh, no, he's not really a bad guy. Look, he was cleaning graffiti off the walls earlier that day. So people mm-hmm. are like, oh, well, well murder's fine. Here's, here's a picture of Ted Bundy washing dishes. <laughs> you know? Bad people do good things occasionally. So Ray seems to be getting a vibe off Nikki. He thinks that he's seen her before and seen her in one of his hotels or whatever. And she says, oh, well, I work in hospitality. That's where you've seen me. Mm-hmm. And he's not falling for, for a minute and continues to wind her up for no, a while. No, because he's creepy Ray, Ray Weinstein, who's probably hired sex workers himself. He's a bad guy, remember? Yeah, he's a bad Let's guy. Let's remember. He's a bad guy. Easy to forget. He's creepy. So Baz goes off for a pish. Bray goes to get Daniel's order, telling him not to steal anything, leaving Nikki with Daniel. He immediately gets torn into her about not returning his messages, but she's already told him that she was going to be busy all week. But Daniel needs to see her, and see her now, and so he starts to approach her. She backs off, seemingly a little uh, mm-hmm. terrified. Right. <laughs> rightfully. Yes. Tell him to keep his distance. Daniel says that he'll pay double, at which point Baz and Ray come back in. This isn't happening, Nikki and the audience whisper under their breaths. Baz has never been so embarrassed, which Rick thinks is saying a lot. Not Rick, Ray. Yes. Nikki tells Daniel to get to fuck. Baz says that they can both get to fuck and he leaves without paying Nikki her 500 quid. Thanks a bunch, you prick, she says to Daniel and she chases after Baz. He's like, we'll all pay you. And it's like, that's not the fucking point. (laughs) Leaving Ray to chuckle at Daniel. Haven't you been a naughty boy? Christy P., our friendly neighbourhood Canadian librarian friend, mentioned on Twitter last night, hasn't he been to a grief retreat? Right. (laughs) Which is absolutely right. Yeah, it seems like like they don't know how to make Daniel move forward, so they just keep looping back to his grief and making him crazier and crazier as as time goes on. He spent months... And a grief retreat in Scotland. That Claudia paid for. Which which I reply with saying, to be fair, that was probably just a bunch of people screaming at him to get over himself or pull, <laughs> pull, himself, to, pull himself together, man. Right, I mean, it is Scotland. Right. That's that's <laughs> completely unfair, but... Uh, <laughs> but the it's music... okay. It's okay. You're Scottish. You're allowed to make those jokes. Okay. So, yeah, he's... he's th- this is... <laughs> this is uh, the... the Therapy in motion is kind of what we're seeing here. Yes. On the street, the argument continues. Baz doesn't want anything to do with Nikki now that she's been trying to get with Daniel when he was in the bathroom having a pish. There's a few threats being thrown about, and then there are a few high-heeled chews being thrown about, one of which hits Baz just as the police turn up. Nikki tells Daniel to get lost, if not for himself, then for Bertie. Yes. We don't want you to get arrested, Daniel. Which... I much preferred it when Nikki had no sympathy for Daniel whatsoever. Well, I don't think she has any sympathy for him now. I think she has sympathy for that baby. And let's be honest, we all have sympathy for that baby. (laughs) There was a moment where... Imagine having Daniel in this state as a father when you are a helpless child. Daniel seemed to be trying to instigate a fight with Baz while the police were there. Or... 
he was nobody definitely, seemed he was definitely to notice to that the police Nikki. were there until the police, you know, got out of the car. I mean, we see them pull up, but nobody else seems to notice them except for uh, Ray Weinstein. Yeah, he's loving it. Yeah, yeah, he is. Because he hates Daniel. Right. For Daniel's part in the whole Bethany thing. Right. Yeah. Because let's remember, Ray Weinstein is a bad guy. Doesn't seem to like this Baz character, whoever he is, or seems to enjoy winding them up. Right, because he enjoys winding everybody up because and, he is a bad guy. And thinks very little of Nikki the sex worker now that he knows. That she's a sex worker. Which she is. Ugh. He's a bad guy. Duh. The, where does Daniel go from here? Because <laughs> this is... <sighs> he becomes a serial killer. I don't... I I just... I just want it to end. <laughs> I just want him to move on with his life. Somewhere else. <laughs> I, this is... This is all... Katie McGlynn's fault. Yeah, for leaving. Uh huh. Yeah. Because it's left him. And not leaving in a way where she could come back. No. Except for maybe as a ghost or which, a video screen. Which she's already done. Yes. Let's be honest. Mm hmm. It's left him with a small child that, you know, who cares, right? So. He keeps fobbing off on his family. Right. But he has nothing else really. During a pandemic. Going on. The, the, the natural reaction is for him to go to that London and meet up with Bethany again. Which isn't going to happen because she's happen. on a boat. <laughs> Which isn't going to happen. Sailing to John O'Groats. I don't know. He needs, he needs something more than this uh, grieving... Craziness. ...farce that, that's becoming. <sighs> Our penultimate storyline today. <laughs> it's Tim's fucking dad. Ugh. On Friday, Alia was on the phone to Yasmin, whose surgery seems to have gone well, and she's sounding like her old self again. Tim's dad's not going to know what's hit him, she says. So later, Alia and Ryan are chatting about making a playlist for Yasmin. Across the street, Tim's dad tries to taunt them for some reason, but Alia turns it around. Yasmin's operation has been a complete success. Tim's dad admits to not even knowing that she'd had it. Ooh, that's got to hurt, says Alia. What with him being one, what with him being so out of the loop and all that, and one who mm. likes to be in control. By the time Yasmin is finished with him, he'll be totally effed in the A. Yes. And Tim's dad walks off, and you can tell that she's got under his skin. Yes. So at home, there was what was in the makings of a, an incredibly boring scene of Tim's dad vacuuming. <laughs> but he keeps on pulling the cord out of the wall and having it go and plug it back in and again. And yet there's. You can see that there's lots of cords still wrapped around the vacuum cleaner. So all he has to do is unloop it a little bit more and then that wouldn't happen anymore. <laughs> but then we wouldn't get this amazing scene, this fantastic scene where he beats up a vacuum cleaner. Right. He beats the fuck out of this vacuum cleaner. <laughs> and then has to look up and the first thing obviously that he sees is a photograph of him and, him Yasmin. and Yasmin in happier times. Although yes. not really happier times. Right. He doesn't seem to be handling this news about Yasmin very well. No. That's all that happened there in that one. That was kind of worth the entrance fee, I think. Mm. Considering the story beforehand. I don't really understand why 
he tried to pick a fight with Alia in the street in because the first place. Because he just loves to pick... He can't help himself. He loves to pick a fight with these people. Because he said... Uh, what was it? He said, oh, you, is that you two off looking to ruin somebody else's relationship? Right. Or something. What? Yeah. No, we're just ruining your relationship. Right. Keep up. Yes. Anyway. Aye, aye, aye. Final storyline tonight. Scott Free. This morning. Yep, that as well. On Monday, Johnny's back. Yay! He breezes into the back of the rovers and quizzes Peter and Carla on the state of things. Peter admits takings are down and the B&B is empty. Johnny is suspicious as fuck when he tries to act nonchalant about Scott not being there. Mm-hmm. Peter says he's renting just round the corner, so he's gone, but not gone. Johnny plays down his relationship with Scott, calling it ancient history and how they weren't that close, and then he beats a hurried retreat to go unpack. And Carla and Peter agree that something is up here. On Wednesday, Jenny comes into the rovers to find Johnny standing behind the bar. The Wanderer returns, she says, and she's not ready to play Happy Families no, just the yet. And yeah, demands to know where he's been hiding. Why did he stay back in France? Either give me the truth or you can sleep in the spare room. Johnny isn't forthcoming, so I imagine he slept in the spare room. Yes, he did, because he complains about it later. In the morning on Friday, Jenny is still giving Johnny the cold shoulder. He doesn't know what he has to do to get through this, but Jenny's made it quite clear what he has to do. Tell me what's up. Answer the question. But he knows that they can't run away from it. Jenny thinks running away... Is his MO. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Jenny's gone for a haircut. And on her way out, she bumps into Scott, who is interested to hear that Johnny is home and is in the shit books with Jenny. He offers to have a word with Johnny. The two of them used to be mates after all, and he suggests that Jenny forgives and forgets. So Jenny gets home and tries to make an effort, but Johnny still isn't uh, talking or explaining why he stayed behind. He admits finally that he was running away, but it's hard to explain. Stuff that he thought he had dealt with has shown back up again. He thought if he stayed in France it would sort itself out, but it didn't. Typical Johnny, says Mm. Jenny. Yep. He kind of gave her enough information there to what well, what showed up just before we left. Right, but he's not explaining why. No, but I think she could have sussed out that he was referring to Scott. Yeah, but again, she has no idea why Scott would be freaking him out so much because Scott has been lovely to her. You know? Hmm. If 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 somebody showed up and freaked you out and made you want to go to France. I would want to know why. And you'd probably be a lot more forthcoming than Johnny because you're, on the most part, a forthcoming person. Sure. <laughs> so later, Scott comes in and sees Johnny behind the bar with Jenny. And he tells Johnny that he and Jenny had been chatting earlier. That was a long sentence. He lends Johnny an ear. And Jenny approves of this. He's all yours, she says. So the two of them go through mm-hmm. the back. So through the back, Scott finally gets some alone time with Johnny. Scott wonders if his French trip had anything to do with him, but Johnny tells him not to take it so personally. Things just get on top of him, on top of him sometimes, and he was surprised to see Scott wander back into his life. Scott suggests that they were involved in something years ago and asks what Johnny's first thought was when he saw him. Johnny pretends that he can't remember. Scott's not buying it and suggests that it wouldn't be something like, how did that lunatic hunt me down? He suggests that they start over again and Johnny is left speechless and that's how we end this week's episodes. I mm. thought they were I thought they were going along the lines of Johnny and Scott used to be 
Yeah, remember I suggested that a long time ago. That looked like that was where that conversation was going. I don't think it is now. No. It looks like they've, I don't know, robbed a bank or something. Something happened between them. Yeah. Yeah. They've been involved in something a little nefarious, shall we say. Yes. That John had thought he'd dealt with. Right. And now he's having to deal with it again. Right. What that is, we don't know. No. We can but speculate. Yes. And I'm going for a bank job. Yeah. Or a casino heist. Yeah. I just see gays everywhere. <laughs> it's your sixth sense. <laughs> I see gay people <laughs> walking around like regular people. Because they are regular people. That's the line from the movie. I know. I know. I know. But how, I just have to say. How often do you see them? All the time. <laughs> Everybody's a little bit gay, let's be honest. Have I told you when, it's I, a spectrum. when I sat down to watch The Sixth Sense with my mum? And she, and she figured <laughs> it out, like, within the first five minutes? I'd watched it and been kind of blown away by it in the, uh-huh. in the movies. When the ring drops, uh-huh. towards the end, everyone in the theatre just, oh my God, you could just sense everyone twigging <gasps> what had been going on. <laughs> I sat down with my mum, we watched it on DVD, and I'm sitting looking at her for mm-hmm. a reaction when the ring drops, and there's nothing. Mm-hmm. There's no reaction. Right. And then it goes on further and further, and you, you see the, the, the flashback scenes. To be fair, your mother was never a reaction-type person. <laughs> Still no reaction, just sitting watching it, eating her, mm-hmm. eating her popcorn and, and, and whatever. And then the, the credits start to roll, and I'm like, well, what'd you think? Mm-hmm. And she says, yeah, it was all right. She says, what'd you think about the twist? Mm-hmm. What twist? <laughs> and then she says, "Oh, well, we we not meant to know that Bruce Willis was dead. <laughs> she saw him get shot, assumed that he was dead, and then come back as a ghost." Hmm. Well, it's like when we were watching Matchstick Men the other day, and and you said, you know, less than halfway through, they're totally conning him, aren't aren't they? And I was kind of like, ah. <laughs> but that's the only way narratively. A- a story like that could go. Right. It can't go any other way. Like Some, the, the, somebody has to be ripping somebody else off. There has to be a a, a bait and switch thing happening. Unless it's a like feel, good, feel good movie about a, a father teaching his daughter the family business of conning people out of their hard-earned money. And they go on to successfully con many, many more elderly people and live happily ever after. See that, but that film doesn't have an ending. It doesn't have a... There's no crest to that. Well, they write off into the sunset, conning more elderly people. But again, that's not really satisfying from a narrative point of view. Eh. <laughs> they, they had, he had to be getting double-crossed. He just had to be. And that was obvious from the, the halfway point. And because Nick Cage is so obnoxious in that movie, you don't really mind. No, you don't. No, you're, you're quite happy Except with Except for that one scene, you know, towards the end when he finds out that that his, I'm totally ruining Matchstick Men for people, but it's the movie's over ten years old, so deal That's with it, people. Game. Anyway, so Coronation Street. Coronation um, Street. Kind of happy that that Johnny's back. Yes. I, I, I'm I'm a little intrigued by the whole. I'm always surprised when you know a an actor of a certain age shows up anymore because. 
you'd think that they'd all be still off set, but it seems like they're trotting them out like one at a time and then putting them back in the stable. <laughs> yeah. That's why you'll see Kathy one week and the next is just next week is just everybody Kathy's shouting. She's not at that her. old though. I don't think Johnny's that old. Johnny's older than Kathy. I, I don't know if that's true. I think Kathy's maybe Maybe Let, five years older than us. I mean, she was married to... How old is Sean Bean, her I, ex-husband? I, I don't know. I, let's, not, let's not guess people's ages. <laughs> let's, let's not do that. Yeah. But she's not like Audrey. No, but, but... Or Rita. Or Evelyn. No. But they have her one week, and then the next week you'll maybe have Brian, and Kathy's nowhere to be seen, and it's just people shouting on a mm-hmm. Kathy who's always in the back room and that we right. never see. So they have been doing that, just kind of getting them in, in and out. Yeah, and we see Tim's dad this week, but we don't see Yasmin. We just see her on the phone, right. or see Ali on the phone with her. Right. We have to assume that uh, Alia's telling the truth, that that mm-hmm. was Yasmin who on she was phone. on the phone with. Yeah. It could have been Peter, for all we know. Hmm. So yeah, that was Coronation Street this week. A lot of birdie, though. Bernie. Not birdie. Almost no bear to. Yeah, absolutely no children on that set. None. Summer. I don't count teenagers. You don't count teenagers when I point one out. <laughs> well, I'm I'm thinking like young children who can't socially distance because they're young children who run and grab things. And we stuff. haven't seen Hope and Ruby for a while. No. Then again, we haven't really seen Tyrone and Fizz. We've seen Tyrone in a towel. <laughs> yes, he was enjoying walking about in the scuddy. Yeah. What was your moment of the week? I know what my boring moment of the week is. I was going through these storylines because we were writing this out last night. <laughs> what, what am I going to suggest for a moment of the week? It's not that one. It's not that one. Um, Gemma and Paul's dance. Oh, no. No. Because it was fun. No. No. It was fun. No. Um, Paul and, and Billy and Billy saying that if they could get married in the church, they'd get married. Oh, no. Um, was it Tim's dad fucking up the vacuum cleaner? No. No. Absolutely not. We're not giving it to that. <laughs> if we can't give it to Gemma and Paul's dance, then we're not giving it to Tim's dad. Um... Jenny's ultimatum, which escalates quite quickly because at one point she says, this this marriage is over. Right. Uh, See, I feel like we've given it to Abby quite a lot recently. And I, I think my favourite moment of the week was Chill Your Beans, Annie Lennox. But that's the name of this episode. Is it? Mm-hmm. Oh. And I, I, I don't think we can give it to Abby yet again. So Why not? Because she's great. It becomes <laughs> it becomes the Abby show, right? But you know what? Sometimes it's been the Roy show. I miss Roy. Yeah, me I too. miss Roy a lot. Out of all the old people, I think I miss oh, Roy the most. Even Mary didn't come out with anything really truly ridiculous this week. 
No. Although I do like her, you know, her relationship with Sean now. I I love their kind of honeymooners sort of right. <laughs> vibe. Um, Let's go back to a moment of the week. Peter? Peter pouring out the morphine? No. Peter. Oh, Carla confronting Peter about the keys. That was a good scene where she's, you know, she's like, do you have a second, second copy of those keys? He's like, no. So are you sure you got them? Because they're sitting right here. You know, and then her saying, you know, when he's not totally forthcoming, grabbing her jacket and saying, right, I'm off to beat up Abby and get it out of her. That yeah. was a good scene. Yeah. I liked that scene. That'll do. That'll do. That's our moment of the week. Moment of the week. Uh, boring moment. Bernie's trash. <laughs> it's proud trash. It's, it's proud, trash like gold. Pr- has pride inducing trash. <laughs> Take your pick from that storyline, honestly. Bernie's trash. That's our boring moment of the week. A boring moment of the week. Shall we wrap this one up? It's pretty bad when we're like grasping at straws to find a moment of the week. The, Some weeks. The, and absolutely know what we're going to say from boring moment of the week. <laughs> like right away. There really wasn't very much to, to choose from this week. No. It, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't a great week. No. It was a. a it, was it was a, a good week. week. It was a good week. It just there wasn't anything. It, it's it's one of those it's one of those weeks that we have sometimes that are necessary are in storytelling. Give them room to breathe. Is that what you're going to say? Well, no. It it gives us the building blocks for a story, but it doesn't give us the climactic emotional impact. Of right. We had the, 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 like the previous couple of weeks we've had kind of fireworks in a couple mm-hmm. of storylines like in the Gary storyline and Tim's dad storyline that, right. that were just wonderful and lots was going on and mm-hmm. it was all kind of high octane stuff mm-hmm. where it's kind of difficult to pick from one moment or another because of our, because everything was really great Yeah. and so this week was kind of nothing really happened like that, everything was just getting nudged along, Right. nothing really stood out. It's just moving things forward or you have things like the whole Abby thing which So much of it is so unrealistic that it just takes you right out of the story and you can't enjoy it. You know, when a character swigs back a gulp of morphine and shows absolutely no reaction, you're kind of like, no, this is this is stupid. And it doesn't matter how great her um, conversations with Debbie are because you've already been taken out of the story. You've got real opinion bond about that. I do. If you think a world-famous brunch should consist of more than a couple of undercooked sausages and a rubbery fried egg, send your recipes in to us at thetalkofthestreet at gmail.com, which yes, is also please. how you can get a voicemail to us on Skype or leave a couple of bucks in our virtual tip jar on PayPal. We're at Quarry Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And please, if you have the time and the inclination, please leave us a rating and a review on the iTunes. Also, we have a merch store, a link for which is on our Twitter homepage. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode and we will be back next week with more Talk of the Street. Bye. Cheerio.